Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. There is only one week left until the municipal election on October 24th. Most municipalities have started voting already, but more about that later. This week, I'll be interviewing the last candidate for mayor. Please remember, I'm only interviewing the mayoral candidates running for office across Northumberland County. I will not be interviewing the deputy mayor or council candidates. As I've said before, there's just too many of them. However, you can go to the radio station's website or the website for this show to find candidate information. Today, I'm interviewing Jeff Lees, who is running for mayor of Port Hope. Here is Jeff Lees. I'm so pleased to have with me today Jeff Lees, candidate for Mayor of Port Hope. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thank you very much, Robert. Uh, It's my pleasure. There may be some people who don't know you, so let's begin with you introducing yourself as a candidate for mayor. Well, uh, for people that don't know me, my roots started out in the rural area. We had a family farm. Uh, My grandfather sold the farm. We moved into town. Uh, from there, I went to Central Public School, uh, Dr. Hawkins, and Port Hope High School. Uh, that, that's where I met my wife at the time. I've been married uh, 35 years. I raised a son in Port Hope. Uh, we've lived in Port Hope for the most of our lives. Um, my son is now 30. Uh, I've been on council for uh, 25 years. I've worked with uh, seven different councils five different CAOs, and four different mayors. So I've picked up a lot of good things in the community, and I picked up a lot of bad things that I wouldn't use as as I was uh, mayor. But as most people know, I'm very active. I was in the Kinsman Club also uh, for over 30 years. I was a big brother. I've received lots of civic awards. I've received Kinsman of the Year several times. I received Big Brother of the Year uh, once. I received a Paul Harris Award for Community Service from the Rotary Club. Um, I belong to a lot of organizations, and I believe being active in the community is a staple for any mayor. And if I'm elected as mayor, I will encourage my council to be out there and be active as I am. In a previous interview, you've talked about the need to overhaul the bus system. Why is that a priority for you? Well, we did we did do a small overhaul, um, and we went to smaller buses. That was one. But we still have the problem of our buses are touring around lots of times with no people on them. And, and to me, that's a problem. 
you have to also learn. This is also a learning curve for everybody. When when things change, you have to change with them. Our friends to the east, uh, Coburg, they've tried this call-in bus system, and they've they've found it very successful, and they've also saved a lot of money. Um, busing, as you know, in a small community, you don't make any money on it because of insurance, labor, cost, upkeep, all those things. So any way that you can make a better service and save the municipality money is a plus in my my opinion, and I think we should look at the call uh, bus service, call-in service for busing. And also, the other part of our service is we have a rural area, which we're very lucky to have, and I think we should start looking at uh, maybe getting out to the rural area a little bit more with a bus service to bring in our rural residents would be a good idea as well. You also talk about affordable housing. And you've said on the record that you want to talk to developers to build smaller houses and to change zoning to meet the requirements. How do you hope to achieve this? Well, as you know, it's a, it's a very difficult situation, housing. Housing, uh, affordable housing is a nationwide concern. We You hear it everywhere. It's not just a Port Albert-Cobert problem. It's everywhere. And I think the federal government, first of all, has to buy into a program and give the municipalities better tools to deal with it. Um, right, you know, as a municipality, we really don't have the money to ab- afford these things. But the only way you could possibly do it is talk to developers and see, like I've said before, if they would be willing to do um, affordable housing and not just, you know, blocks of affordable housing. Have some sections mixed in with, you know, single family uh, development, uh, semis, have it a mixture and have some more affordable housing mixed in there. But we've got to we've got to get the federal and provincial government, I, I think, on board with some incentives, offering it to the municipalities. Because like I said, this is a nationwide problem. It's not a Port Open Cobra. And before you get those anything done, I think, in a, in a proper way. Um, I think you have to get them. And I, and I do realize the province gives the county uh, money for affordable housing and uh, stuff like that. But quite honestly, I believe Port Hope doesn't get its fair share of affordable housing. Uh, a lot of money seems to be always spent at county council in, in Coburg. And nothing, nothing, I'm not taking a shot at Coburg, but, you know, it would be nice if, if more was spent in Port Hope, our share, and along with the, the other municipalities. We all pay into the program, and so does the province. So it'd be nice to get our share, and maybe with a mayor with a little bit more forceful voice at the county, maybe we could get some better affordable housing in Port Hope. I'd like to go back over something you, you said a little bit earlier, and that is about talking with developers. Now, don't developers build to meet demand? And if there's not a demand or they can't sell what they build, how do you hope to get them to change their plans if all they're trying to do is meet the demands of, of the marketplace? Well, you know what? I, I, I think there is definitely a demand out there because things are changing. Like, I mean, you got to really look back at things and, and look at ourselves. You know, these six hundred and seven hundred thousand dollar homes that are being built, you know, they've got three, four bedrooms, they've got two, three baths, and a lot of the instances people are coming here to retire, there's only one or two people living in them. So I mean, you know, the problem is there, that's a demand thing. They want these big luxury homes, but really do two people need three, four, five bedroom homes with two, three bathrooms? You know, you gotta start looking within a little bit. It's it's a little bit our fault too, because 
The demand is for these big, big houses. But now, you know, the young people, they can't afford a great big house like that. I don't know how young people can even afford to look at a big house. We had a small development down, I think it was Al LeBlanc, built pod housing just behind Extendicare and our old uh, hospital. And they started at three ninety nine, and they were uh, on, on a level, so retired people or young people, and they were one and two bedrooms, and they sold like hotcakes at three ninety nine. They were they were barely in the ground, and most of them were sold. So I think that that you know that shows you there is a demand out there for that style and affordability, and they sold great. And I'm sure you know Mr. LeBlanc and his company they made money at it. And you know what? Honestly, that development we've heard very few complaints about as compared to other big developments. It, it was a great idea, and I think that's that's a prime example of of a smaller development with smaller houses starting at a smaller range and i think that's exactly what the kind of style we have to build on look at building you know a lot smaller um you know not garages just have parking spots small verandas on them things like that you know and and maybe look at our lot sizes look at making the lot sizes smaller to fit some of these you know tiny homes and you know we have a, a young man on hamilton road in port hope he's building tiny homes so it sure would be nice if we could accommodate a few of those in port hope by changing some of the bylaw and zonings i, I we're heading that way but i think we need to get there quicker because the demand is so big now, you mentioned the use of vacant buildings and, and land for affordable housing. You've done that publicly in other places. Can you give examples of how this would work? And could you maybe point to specific buildings or, or lots that you think would be ideal for this kind of development? Well, I can point to one right across the road from my house. It was uh, the old Dr. Powers School. Um, it sat vacant for several years, and then a, a developer out of Peterborough, um, who has done a couple in, in Peterborough that I know of, he came, he bought it, and he transferred it into all, all affordable housing. Uh, it's worked very successful. Uh, it's right on Hope Street and Ward Street in Port Hope. Um, that's just one example of taking an old building that was an old school and transferred it into affordable housing. Um, there is other places around. Um, as you know, we have the central school that they're just starting to do classes in it. Uh, St. Mary's was uh, school was empty, but Loyalist College is actually moving in there and bringing uh, 120 capacity for students there as well. So our vacant buildings are filling up. But um, the other problem with vacant building is in Port Hope, the mill rate for an unoccupied building is less than an occupied. So I would say that we have to reverse that or make the unoccupied mill rate higher. So it gives a, a, or a person or an owner or a developer the incentive to do something with that building instead of it just sitting there vacant and unoccupied. I think they have to go forward. If you change the mill rate and made the taxes a little higher, maybe that would give them some incentive to fill it and occupy it with something that people could use. I, I think that's a, another way of, of looking at the mill rate for taxes. Maybe that pressure would um, put that on a developer or an owner to do something instead of the building sitting sitting empty. And we do have a few buildings sitting empty, that's for sure. 
Forgive me, but if I'm not mistaken, doesn't that take a, a change in the provincial uh, rules around how uh, mill rates are set and, and the ability of, of municipalities to tax empty buildings? I, I, I've always thought that that was something that had to be approved by the province before municipalities, because you're not the first municipal leader I've ever spoken to that has mentioned this as, as being a problem and not being a solution. Um, am I wrong in that? or, or it, No, it, no you're, you're correct. But you can apply for that. Um, the province is just, you know, a, another thing where you'd have to pass a resolution to apply to the province to get that mill rate changed. You can apply for it, as far as I, as far as I can understand. You can you can uh, apply to the province to have that um, that mill rate changed in your municipality, as far as I know. Another area that you've spoken to uh, in in public is uh, the need for health care in the community. And one of the things you talk about is the need for a walk-in clinic in Port Hope. What can you as a mayor do to create a walk-in clinic? Well, I, I did previously sit on the doctor recruitment committee um, in Coburg at the Coburg Hospital. I sat on that committee. And for the last few years, honestly, we've been very successful in bringing in doctors. But the problem with doctors are the older doctors carry such a high um, of amount of people. Like a lot of the rosters are anywhere from 2,500 to 4,000. Well, the new doctors that are coming in, they won't take that many um, residents or uh, patients. So you, sometimes you could end up, instead of hiring one doctor to replace one doctor, you might need two or three doctors with the new rates because they don't, they don't take that many patients anymore. And the older doctors, like I said, they would have three to 4,000 patients, some of them. The new doctors don't handle that many anymore. So that's why we need more doctors because a lot of the newer doctors aren't handling that many. Some of them are, but a lot of them aren't. It's, it's a new standard. But, but in Port Hope, we, we used to have a walk-in clinic and it was at the, uh, the old Legion up on Toronto Road. Um, before COVID started and then COVID came and it's run by the uh, Healthcare Foundation. And I think as a mayor, I would give incentives to work with the uh, healthcare foundation, work with doctors to try to work together to try to get that walk-in clinic back up and running. Uh, it was very important to our community. We we needed it. It was used a lot, and I think it would still be used a lot. And again, that might take the pressure off the emergency department in Cobert. For people coming in with things that, you know, a doctor could look at instead of, you know, filling up the emergency department with a lot of these minor things. But, you know, they're all serious to people, and, and I get that. And if a doctor could look at them at the Port Holt walking clinic instead of them going to the emergency, I think that would help as well. The Wesleyville land deal was an opportunity to expand the town and development opportunities. What was your reaction to the deal when it was released last spring? And are you interested in pursuing it as a possible deal to acquire these lands from the provincial government if you're mayor? Yeah, I still I would still be interested in, in looking at um, a new proposal. Um, the time that we were brought the offer and we spent over two years uh dealing with um that that scenario of wesleyville the council voted unanimously to support buying wesleyville because it was in our opinion it was such a great deal 
And the other part of that Wesleyville deal was it was under control of the municipality. If a huge developer was to say to come in there and buy it now, we would have very little control. You know, we could do, you know, zoning changes and um, other stuff like that. But we, if we owned it, we could have more say in how it was done. And I was very disappointed that the wool was really pulled or our rug was pulled out from behind us real quick, just at the last minute. We, we dealt with their, the provincial or OPG's, uh, and Wesleyville, I'm not sure who, it was a realty board that we dealt with. And all the things they asked us to do, we did it at their request, which cost us money. And to me, that's a problem. We probably spent, I'm just estimating, over half a million dollars in things that they wanted done. And we did it at their request. And then when we were all ready to sign the deal, it fell through. And I'm very disappointed, but I would like to work with the province and go back at it and see if we can get that deal for the municipality. Because in my opinion, if the municipality had it, we could protect the woodlands. We can protect the farmland that's in there and also expand the 700 acres of industrial property. And also people have to forget, or they do forget that there's already seven or eight businesses already in there operating and they pay a lease uh, agreement every year. So there is money coming in for upkeep and stuff like that. So that also helps when you take a mortgage of that size out. Cause I know in the past we were, I was on council when we bought the Smith property and we were ridiculed and we were, you know, badgered about spending that kind of money back then. But now that it's up and running and we've got uh, about six successful businesses in there running and we're getting good tax dollars back and that project will pay back itself in a, a very few years. So I think it's the same scenario with Wesleyville. It's a big amount of money. It's $18.6 million for that approximately 1,400 acres. Plus it's also five kilometers of lakefront property and I, I'm sure people know what lake sh lakefront properties were so in my opinion it was a great deal we were looking forward to it and it was pulled out at the last minute and I was very disappointed but I'd like to work to the province to go forward with it if we can and also maybe if we can't work a, a deal out to purchase the property at least get some money back from what we spent at their request. What makes you think, though, that uh, the province seems pretty set? I mean, I've interviewed uh, MPP David Pacini, and they seem pretty set that uh, they're going to control this process. What makes you think, as mayor, that you can break the logjam and, and get this done um, where others have tried and, and have not? Well, again, I think, you know, there had to be a reason why they brought it to us in the first place. And and I, I got to be honest with you, I'm a little bit disappointed that MVP Pacini hasn't supported us more because in the beginning of this whole scenario of buying Wesleyville, he certainly was behind us then. But then at the last minute, he, he doesn't seem to want to talk very much about it. He does, you know, he's kind of left the building on this project that's for sure and i understand he's a busy guy now that he's the minister of the environment and uh you know he has a whole new portfolio but you know i i'm disappointed that he won't even speak or help us on behalf because we are part of his uh his group of people in northumberland and I, i'm a little disappointed that he won't go to bat for us and uh try to help us out a little bit more but you know the party line i always i've always said if you don't follow the party line, I'm sorry, but 
Mr. Ford's kicked out other people that wouldn't follow the party line. So maybe that's the scenario. But I, I, I like David. David's a hard worker, and I'm hoping he can work with us uh, in the future, maybe to do something to break up this log jam and at least get talks started with the province would be great. Where do you stand on the Garden Hill development? Um, I have many concerns with the Garden Hill development. Uh, the first proposal, again, it was the first proposal from the developer. I think the developer really needs to go back to the, the drawing board on, on uh, Garden Hill. Um, my first concern is normally on developments, uh, I used to be the chairman of the GRCA as well. A lot of developments you would see maybe five or six concerns from uh, the GRCA in regards to wetlands and rivers and water flows and all that kind of stuff. This current proposal has 26 concerns put against it in regards to water. And, and you know what? That's, that's a lot for the GRCA to be concerned about with one development. Um, I think the developer this first round, he's trying to um, shrink the frontages the first questions I asked at the public meeting was, our recommended frontages for your individual lots was 30 meters. You're putting it down to 18.6. That, to me, is you're making smaller lots with same big buildings in it. And I said, if and I'm not a, a mathematician, but really you're trying to squeeze in 10 extra lots. If they were acre plus, plus the 30-foot frontages, they would be a good size and they, they would be almost like the same as you have there. But a lot of our residents out that way are concerned over water because even with the, the developments that have been out there, the water levels in that area have dropped significantly. And as, as far as the 21 unit apartment building, I'm strictly against that. I, I don't think a 21 unit apartment building right next to County Road 9 is appropriate. I don't know any other municipality in Northumberland that has that size of a unit uh, in the rural area other than there's a six-plex in Hamilton Township across from Ashbrook, but a 21-unit. And again, they're shrinking the size of a lot recommended by us to put that big, big thing in. And again, it's water. You have to get water and uh, septic out there. And uh, again, it's all about me it's about the water concern and a lot of the residents that's what their concern is water and big houses on smaller lots i think the developer has to go back to the drawing board like i said and come back with something new i'd like to talk about homelessness now there are people sleeping in tents and parks and other public spaces what have you done to address the immediate needs of these people and not just talking about the mid and long-term issues of shelter well, myself, I uh, politically, I've tried, and I know our police service has worked with, we have uh, about maybe two or three that I know of that our police service has tried to work with, tried to get them sheltered, tried to get them places to live. And in a lot of the instances, um, these people have mental issues. They don't want to follow rules. They don't... Um, you know, they, they want to live the way they want to live and you can't force them to stay in these shelters and stuff. That's, it's not right to do that. But I think there is things that we can do. The, the first thing I would think of doing is 
we're building a new uh, senior center up at the Town Park Rec Center. So the old Ruth Clark is there. I would like to give that Ruth Clark to the food bank. And and that Ruth, the old Ruth Clark building also has a full kitchen. And they could maybe, the food bank, in my opinion, could maybe run it. Um, they could also supply us a soup kitchen, a warming station, and maybe a place for people to go. Um, when they're in homeless, so they'd have somewhere to go. I think, I know the food bank right now pays large amounts to rent the space they're in now. So I think instead of selling the old Rue Clark, give it to the food bank, let them run a soup kitchen out of there, a warming station, and a place for people to go if they're homeless. I think that would be a great opportunity that we would miss if we sold that building. How do you react to the county's plan for agricultural lands, the agricultural mapping exercise that's going on right now? Well, um, I've always been, everything I've said um, in this whole campaign is the municipality of Port Hope is very lucky to have our rural friends in the rural area in Ward 2. Um, I know at the beginning the amalgamation was tough on everyone, but as, you, as we've got farther into this, uh, I look at it, we're lucky to have what we have in the rural area. My concern is protecting farms and farmland. I've said that publicly several times. I want to, as mayor, try to protect farms and farmland as much as we can in the municipality of Port Hope. We don't realize, like I said, a lot of us don't realize how lucky we are to have this farm and farmlands. Um, we... As you know, in Ontario alone, we're losing over 300 acres of, of farmland a, a day. And um, people are concerned about that, and I sure am. And I want to protect what we have and protect legacy farms where, you know, fathers, sons. We're looking at um, changing our zoning so instead of be able to uh, sever one lot, we could allow severed two lots so that way they're possibly sons or daughters could take over the family farm and the mother father could retire and maybe keep the farm going so that's what those are the things we're working on in Port Holt right now and like I said I'm concerned about farms I, I want to keep them uh, I, I like local produce and I try to support local produce especially again Planning committee meetings are jam-packed with people who are looking to develop individual lots in rural areas. And with the county wanting to concentrate development in focus places like hamlets and villages and towns, are you concerned at all that this kind of piecemeal development uh, will be impacted? Yeah, a little bit. I know the province... They want us to start to infill. They've always said infilling is, is the best thing, and I can, I somewhat agree with that. I'm, I'm not positive. I agree with the whole scenario. Like we do have little pockets of of acreage and and lots in Port Hope that aren't developed that could be developed. We've, you know, a, a new lot. We've had several over the years that have been vacant for years. And suddenly somebody wants to develop it, but the neighbors, because of you know they've been so used to it being vacant for so long, they're not happy with that. But once you know what, once the development, a lot of them move in. We, I've got a lot of them over by where I live at my house, and they're beautiful little homes, and and people seem to settle in once they're done. But I, I am I like I said, I'm kind of on the fence about the province's state, you know, and what they want us to do, but. Um, you know, we, 
I think they're going to expand our borders in Bordeaux after a while anyways. But I think that's something we're going to have to look at for sure. What more can council do to help local business? Well, first of all, I think council needs to go and talk to local business more. We, you know, we kind of sit back and expect them to come to us, but we used to have a program years ago um, when I was first on council. Our mayor used to do a visit to local businesses. Um, probably every couple of weeks, he would go with the chamber representative, the manager, and he would go and visit different um, businesses, large, small, medium, all that, to get their input on things. And I think that's important. You have to go to the people. You can't wait for them to come to you with a problem. You should go out and be proactive. And, and I honestly believe if a business sees a mayor and, and the chamber representative coming to visit, that shows them at least you care about their business and get their input on things that we could work together to do together to make business better. Um, and also, I think our working relationship uh, with the chamber and with the HBI needs work. And I think as mayor, I would make our working relationship with the chamber and the HBI closer. And what we, you know, as much as we can help them uh, with their, their business that they represent, I, I would I would certainly support that more. Uh, and I would go out and I would like to visit businesses and do that as a week or every couple of weeks, I think, or a weekly thing. Go out and show businesses at least your concern and take their input and visit with them on their turf. I think that's very important. Well, you mentioned that you felt uh, that uh, that the relationship between council and HBIA uh, needs work. What what are you what are you referring to there? Where has it failed, and and how would you improve it? Well. Uh, I think, first of all, not that it's failed. I think COVID sure put a spin into everybody. This last term, uh, I think it widened the gap between communications between the chamber, HBIA, and the municipality. Um, as you know, the chamber and HBIA are separate. They're not uh, boards or commissions of the municipality. And I would like to see more like a task force put together with all three that we can work on projects together instead of, uh, you know, a lot of times you see them uh, fighting over turf while this is ours, that's yours. I really like to see the group get together, all three of us, and work together on projects uh, for everybody, not just, uh, you know, HBIA, not just the chamber, not just municipality. I, I think, honestly, if you get more minds and more hands together, I think you can fix a lot of these problems and fix, come up with some new ideas that would improve our downtown and our businesses. I think that would be great. Earlier in our conversation, you alluded to the fact that uh, Port Hope needs to advocate harder at the county table um, to get more uh, of its share of, of what the county is doing. What do you see as your role as Port Hope's representative to the county? Well, I've always been a firm believer that the county system isn't perfect by any means because if you think about it, every mayor that sits in the county they're not there all the time to see all the nuts and bolts and how things move. They only go there once or twice a week, and they're too concerned with running their own municipalities. So I honestly think, you know, the county structure maybe needs to be changed. I'm glad they've gone to a vice warden where, you know, if the person that 
is voted the warden can't make, you know, um, different meetings and things because they're out doing their, their business in their municipality. At least they've put a vice warden in place that some of these things can be addressed and a, a representative from the county can be there all the time. Um, but I, I, I still, I still have a hard time with every mayor being there all the time. It's, it's probably got to be really difficult on that mayor and on council and on the county council, not having the mayor available or a member of their board available all the time. I, th- I think that has to be worked on for sure. But what are you going to do if, if you do sit at the table? How are you going to get more of what you called your fair share of, of monies and, and attention from the county? Well, I, I, I honestly, I think maybe you have to have a little bit of a louder voice. I think sometimes uh, people sit back and, uh, you know, let the system kind of run itself. I think you need sometimes a, a little harder, harder voice and a louder voice to get your share. But I, I'm sure other municipalities are feeling the same. Uh, you know, they all contribute to the county levy. And I'm not quite sure if they all feel that they're getting their fair share. Because like I said, you look at the major building that's going on right now in the county, most of it is in covert. And yeah, they do, you know, they, they do pay their lion's share, but so do the other municipalities. I think, honestly, the, the wealth needs to be spread around and projects need to be spread around a little bit more evenly because, um, you know, we all, we all pay and contribute to the county uh, levy. So uh, I, I just think a, a stronger voice um, for each municipality, I think, is required. You have to look at a roadmap, too, of uh, what buildings and what, what money is being spent at each municipality according to the uh, assessed levy that they contribute towards the county. There has been a steady increase in property taxes during your times on council. What can you say to people who are listening who might be concerned about their property taxes going up? Well, I can honestly tell you that property taxes are always the number one thing at every election. That's the number one thing all the time for every election that I've ever been. And I understand that. Um, my, my big thing is I don't mind small increments, but big increases, increases I don't agree with because you got to realize that the municipality portion is the smallest portion at the bottom, we're the municipality, education, and then the province or the county on top of that. So, I mean, when you add all three of them together, that's quite an increase. So the best thing you can do as a municipality is keep your spending down and try to make more revenue in places that you can. And I find, you know, in a lot of large corporations, they don't go to the frontline workers and say to them, you know what? Do you have any ideas where we can save some money on things? I'm sure if we went to our staff and said to them, you know, we want to keep our increase down this year, but bring our revenues up. Do you frontline workers or staff have any ideas how we can do that? I don't think that's done enough in day-to-day politics. I think they forget about the little guy at the front that's dealing with these things every day and may have some good ideas of how to save some money and not, not cut service somehow. And I think I think that has to be done more often. Give an incentive to the employees that work for us, and and we do have great staff. Our our staff are phenomenal people. They do a great job, as far as I'm concerned, in Port Hope. 
And we have to continue that, look to them and ask them where we can save money and where possibly we can bring revenues up. And I think that will help keep taxes down. I, you know what? There's always going to be, if anybody tells you they're going to lower your taxes or freeze your taxes, I don't think that's wise. Because you look around the last five years, nothing's gone down in price. And municipality is like a big house. Nothing's gone down in price with the municipality either. Products have gone up. Labor's gone up. Insurance has gone up. A lot of those things we can't control. They're going to go up. So, you know, without losing service, taxes are always going to go up. And like I said, if anybody tells you they're not or they're going to lower them, they're forgetting they're only one voice and they're only one vote when it comes to increases. But as a mayor, I would try to keep the increases at a very minimum. I'm not saying zero, but I'd like to see small, small increases. But, but how do you do that when inflation's running at seven or eight percent? How do you achieve that without cutting service or increasing fees to, to meet your goal? Well, it's funny you ask that because I, I honestly think there's a few departments in the municipality of Port Hope that aren't working quite as efficient as they could be. And it's funny because those those departments are the ones where you make money. Well, let's let's be specific. What are you talking about here? Well, it, it's come up several times in all the debates that one department in particular, our planning department. And again, I want to stipulate it's not our employees. It's not the staff. It's the way it's organized. Planning and planning and, and development and building, they're all hooked together. Once you go to the planning department, then it goes to building. When you submit plans and you do all that, that's where money can be made. If it was reorganized and and ran better, I think, and it's, again, not the employee's fault, if we're short people, we should be hiring more people to get plans through we, we need to advertise that we're open for business more. So if you get those departments working more efficiently, bring in more money, get the customer handled, which the customer is our resident, get it handled better, get it done more efficiently, and get it done faster, you're going to make a b- bigger revenue, and that's going to help with taxes. Well, in our conversation, you've mentioned two ideas. One is, is uh, your particip- municipality's participation in creating a walk-in clinic, and you've mentioned the Ruth Clark Center being a place for homeless and the food bank. With those projects on the books and your aspirations for your platform, and still keep your taxes down. Well, the walk-in clinic, as I said before, was it was run by the Community Health Care Centre, on Toronto Road, there is a is there is a group of people that they invest money, they they do that before COVID, and I'd like to work with them to get that going back again. And like I said, the Ruth Clark, the old Ruth Clark Center um, is going to be moved. We're going to be we're building a new Ruth Clark Center up at the Town Park Center for seniors. So that building basically is going to be vacant. So why not instead of the a food bank paying, and, and this is just an estimate, the place that they're in right now is $24,000 a year they're paying to be there. Why not get them to move that money and move into the old Ruth Clark Center, take that 24000 and put it into the Ruth Clark Center for overhead and costs there? I'm sure, you know, it wouldn't cost more than 24000 to for overhead, like lights, hydro, water, things like that. And then 
also the building would be there for a warming center and a soup kitchen possibly if they could pull that off and also for people that are homeless they would have a place to go when they have nowhere else to go so you're telling me then that the, both those proposals that you've mentioned will not cost the municipality any money is that correct Possibly, possibly. Okay. It would have to be worked out with those other two groups. Like I said, I know the, the the medical group, they have a pot of money that they make interest off and they make investments off. That's how they ran the walk-in clinic before. I don't think it costs municipality any money. If they needed money, we would donate uh, money part of our community grants, but that wasn't very often. And like I said, also the food bank that's ran in Port Hope right now, um, I've been told that they they spend $24,000, $2,000 a month at the current place they're located. Yeah. So you take that so, $2,000 a month and put it in yeah. for overhead at the Rue Clark, that would be great. In monitoring your campaign, I noticed, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you don't have a website. No, um and I guess the question then from that is, is that how are people supposed to know what your platform is? I looked at your Facebook account and there's not a lot there that articulates all the different aspects of a, of a campaign or, or a platform. And I wondered why, why you chose to do it that way. And where can people find details about your platform? Well, I'm, I'm one of these people that, uh, doesn't have a lot of money to run my campaign. I'm trying to stay within the amount of money that I have for my campaign. So my team decided that um, majority of people in Port Hope are over 55 years old. And I wouldn't say the majority of them aren't on Facebook or they're not on a computer, but a lot of them aren't on that. So my my committee said we have to stay within budget, and that would be the same as I was mayor. If there was a budget, I would try to stay within it. So I wanted to run my own campaign the same way. And we felt that literature, door-to-door, uh, -door, uh, signage, meet-and-greets would be more productive and more cost-efficient within my own um my own platform to do that style instead of going with a website and everything that I put out has my phone number, has my address, uh, has my email address and people have been reaching out to me steadily by all those things. So I don't feel that I need a website and neither did my team. And I wanted to stay within my budget. You say you've been on seven different councils and you've spent 25 years in public life as a politician. Why have you not implemented any of the ideas we've talked about today or your proposals prior to this? Um, a lot of the, the proposals and the things that we've talked about are just recently. I've, uh, I've brought lots of things forward uh, during the many years. Um, I brought the... Town Park Rec Center, that was my idea to bring that forward. Um, the Jack Burger expansion, that was another idea when I was the director or uh, chairman of Parks and Rec. That was my one of my ideas to bring forward. The splash pad just recently, that was my idea to bring forward. Uh, the latest one during the last budget was switching to two programs for road repairs because Rose Glen Road was a priority, in my opinion, over Victoria Street North. And I asked, that was one of my uh, priorities. So every every council that I've sat on, I, I can't go back and think of everyone. I, uh, 
the, every every year that I've sat on a term, I've brought a project forward and and they've been implemented. And I think uh, if any politician can bring one major project every year by themselves, you're only one person, one vote. If you can bring something forward every term and have that project done, I think that's pretty successful. I think we, we've, you know, Port Hope, they say Port Hope's stagnant. But if you look back, there's been a lot of things that have gone on in the last 25 years. Every building that we've built, every term, there's been a major build and a building built or new road construction or a new water tower, new um, water sewer treatment. Every term that I've been on, I've brought things forward. And there, these things that I'm talking about now, I would try to bring forward as mayor. Uh, for the future because these are future things I can't go back and change the past um, I've learned a lot I've learned how to get things through and the other part of it is too you have to have the support of the rest of your council I can bring lots of things forward but if they haven't been supported by the rest of the council it's not going to get done even these new things if I brought them forward if the rest of the council didn't support them they wouldn't get done Jeff, when you're not doing politics or being mayor, what do you do to relax? I mean, what do you do for fun? Do you have any hobbies or guilty pleasures? Um, yes. <laughs> I, uh, like I said, I was in the Kinsman Club for many years, over 30 years, uh, until we disbanded the club because we had no more volunteers. Uh, I've always volunteered out in the community. I, I, I like being out with the people. I think that's very important. Um, I think you get a perspective of, of many different things if you're out in the community all the time. I've been very active like the last 30 years of my life. I've always been active and, and you get, like I said, perspectives from many, many different groups. I, I travel in lots of different circles. I've sat at millionaires tables with millionaires and I've sat under a bridge with a homeless person and, and talked to them all. And I've learned a lot and I, I will continue to learn a lot, even as mayor, because you know what? I'm one of these guys that I'm not perfect and I'm always willing to learn and no one else in my opinion is perfect. So you have to accept that you're going to win some votes. You're going to lose some votes, but you know what? You accept what happens. That's democracy. And you move on from there. Why will you be a good mayor? I think I will be a good mayor because I'm experienced. I'm obviously dedicated to this job. Uh, and people can tell you it's not a full-time job, but being on council in Port Hope has, to me, has always been a full-time job. I will treat the mayor's position as a full-time job. I will have full-time hours down at town hall. I'll be there at 8.30 in the morning to at least 4.30 every day or later, depending on the job. I think you need a full-time, dedicated mayor that lives in Port Hope full-time and is available to the people full-time. And I will always encourage my council to be out at every event and every organization that's doing fundraisers, any meetings, any of that stuff. I will encourage myself and my council to be out there all the time. I believe in teamwork and I believe as, as the mayor of Port Hope, I can, I will make teamwork happen with the whole of council. Jeff Lees, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Absolutely, Robert. It was my pleasure. That was Jeff Lees, who's running for mayor of Port Hope. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. 
Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.